This morning's scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Well, good morning to everybody out there. Uh, my name is David Duran, and my official title here at DOXA is Church Planting Resident. We are prayerfully working towards planting a church in Massachusetts in the coming years. And while working on that, I also work with our, our community groups here. Now, on a bit of a, a personal note, I just want to say how much I have missed gathering together and worshiping the Lord with you all on Sunday mornings. Um, I knew how important the worship service was for my spiritual health uh, prior to all of this happening, but the last month or so has, has in a very uh, real way confirmed to me that being actually together in the same place for worship, it has to be a normal pattern uh, in the life of a Christian. Facebook Live and, and Zoom calls and all the, thing, the other things that we've been able to do, um, those things have been, been really nice, and I'm grateful that that kind of technology is available to us, but those things can, can never substitute for an actual gathering. Um, if, we are, if we're content with, with virtual gatherings all the time, then we are settling for something far, far less. So I'm not sure when we're going to be able to gather together again in person and be able to, to see everyone, but I'm, I'm so much looking forward to, to seeing you all and singing together, feasting on the Word together, taking communion, and just, um, just worshiping God as a family. I'm, I'm so looking forward to that day, and I pray, I pray that it's, it's soon. Now last week we started a new series called Implications of the Resurrection. We've been taking a little bit of a break from Romans, and over this, this next month or so, we want to, to focus on some of the conclusions that we can draw from Christ's resurrection. What does, does Christ's resurrection say about who he actually is? Um, what does Christ's resurrection mean for for the church, for our church here, uh, for the future, or for our mission in life. What does Christ's resurrection say about who he actually is? 
You already heard our, our passage this morning, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. And as one brother texted me earlier this week, um, this passage truly is a glorious passage. And before we, we jump in this morning, um, I just want to pray and ask the Lord uh, to help us and to help me. Uh, I, I recognize that it's, it's difficult to, to really focus in on what's, what's being said and what's happening if you're watching on your phone or computer or tablet. Uh, I understand that's challenging. Maybe you have kids running around. And, um, and I was there for the last few weeks, and I know that's difficult. Um, but just so you know, on this end, it's difficult to try to preach when you have no idea if, if anyone's listening or paying attention at all. Uh, I'm holding a microphone, which is uh, pretty foreign for me. I'm sitting on a stool. like This is, this is different on, on our end. But um, I'm confident that the Lord will bless this time this morning if we'll just give him our attention and our focus for these next few minutes. So I'm going to pray, and then let's dive into Hebrews 8, 1 through 6 together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that in the midst of this pandemic and in the midst of not being able to be physically together, that in a sense we can be together um, this morning, God. I thank you that we have your word. Lord, I thank you that we're still able to sing. Lord, I thank you that we're able to, to somewhat connect with each other. And Father, I pray that over these next few minutes, Lord, that you will just give us an intense focus on you an intense focus on your word. God, I pray that the distractions which, which are multiplied now that we're not together, I pray that you would silence those, Father. I pray that you'll help, you would help us to focus. I pray that you would help me to say things that are honoring and true to your word and helpful um, for everybody who's listening. So be with us now as we dig into your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we have just sort of parachuted into the book of Hebrews this morning, and we need to do a little bit of uh, reconnaissance so we can get our, our bearings and really understand what's being said in our passage. So I want to start by giving a quick, and I mean a, a very quick overview of Hebrews as a whole. So in a sentence, I told you it would be quick, in a sentence, the theme of Hebrews is to provide specific and distinctive insights into the person and work of Jesus Christ and the nature of our salvation. I'm going to say that again. The theme of Hebrews is to provide specific and distinctive insights into the person and work of Jesus Christ and the nature of our salvation. Sometimes Christians get intimidated by this book because of, of all the Old Testament uh, imagery and the Old Testament scripture that's being referenced. There's a bunch of talk about Israel's priesthood and a guy named Melchizedek. And far too many people give up on trying to understand this book really before they, they even begin. But just so we're all on the same page as we, as we dive in, the person and work of Jesus Christ and the nature of salvation is the primary theme of Hebrews. Now Hebrews, it isn't a letter like many of the books in the New Testament. Instead, it was probably originally composed as a sermon with Christians of a Jewish background as its audience. Now, our passage this morning, when we come to it, the, the author is making an emphatic point about who Jesus is. But we can't understand the point if we don't first understand the premise. 
It would be like receiving the, the punchline of a joke without actually hearing the joke. It just it doesn't make as much sense as it could. So let's look a, a bit closer at the context of our passage before looking at verses 1 through 6 in chapter 8. So in chapter 7, a comparison is being drawn between Jesus and somebody named Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek is a bit of a, a mysterious and shadowy figure in Scripture. He first appears way back in Genesis chapter 14, and the book of Hebrews is the only New Testament book that makes specific reference to him. But this, this figure, this, this Melchizedek, tells us something very important about the future Messiah, who we know is Jesus. What's interesting about Melchizedek is he's presented as both a king and a priest. In Genesis 14, he's presented as the king of Salem, but he's also a priest of the one true God. And Melchizedek is the model for the coming deliverer. Jesus is both our king and our high priest. And when I use that word priest here, what I mean is that for Christians, Jesus represents us before God. He, he intercedes on our behalf so that we have access to God the Father. Christians are the only ones who have unhindered, uninterrupted access to God because we have Jesus, we have Christ as our high priest. And the point being made in, in Hebrews 7 is that although Jesus is like Melchizedek, he's also very, very different. Our passage this morning, it shows us that Jesus is far better than Melchizedek. Although he was a real historical person, Melchizedek was just a shadow of the one who was to come. The eternal king, the eternal high priest, is King Jesus. Jesus has come to fulfill and put an end to the Old Testament system of human priests. Now our attention on him is, is ministering and interceding for us in heaven. And the beauty of that reality is astounding. And I've been, I've been praying throughout these last couple days that you'll be able to see that this morning. Jesus intercedes on our behalf for all who trust in him. So with that bit of background in mind, let's read Hebrews 8, 1 through 6 again. And then with God's help, I want to unpack and apply a little bit of, of what's being communicated there. So let's read that again together. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, run and grab one real quick. Have it in front of you as we read through this and as we talk about it. Uh, it's, it's great to hear with your ears as, as I'm reading, but I want you to see it. I want you to see it with your eyes as we go through this. So run and grab it real quick. If you don't have it, if you do, have it open and be looking at it as I read it here. Here we go. Hebrews 8, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted 
on better promises. I'm going to make one of the big points in this sermon right here at the beginning because this is going to sort of carry us the rest of the way. The reason that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was sufficient to save us and the reason that Jesus alone is worthy as our eternal high priest is because first, Jesus is, is truly man as we talked about last week, but he is also truly God. Those of us who have grown up in church or, or been around Christianity, hopefully we've heard that all of our lives. Uh, Jesus is truly God and he is truly man. But we may be tempted to allow the significance of that statement to go in and out of our ears on Sunday morning without actually thinking about what that means. Brothers and sisters, Jesus' divinity, Jesus' divine nature is what uniquely qualifies him as our Savior and our High Priest. If Jesus isn't truly divine, if he isn't actually God in the flesh, then his death on the cross is insufficient to save us. If you're tuning in this morning and you're not a Christian, I want you to know that the heart of the Christian message is this good news about what Jesus Christ has done to restore the relationship between God and humanity. The entire Bible, it points to Jesus. And the Christian message, it finds its foundation on the person and work of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that your sin can be forever forgiven by placing your faith and trust in Jesus' perfect sacrifice on your behalf. Jesus' sacrifice was perfect because he was sinless. We, on the other hand, we have sinned. We have rebelled against a holy God, and the penalty for that rebellion is death. Hell is what we all deserve because we've loved sin more than we love God. We have all broken God's law. But God loves his people so much that he sent Jesus, truly God and truly man, to die in their place. And then Jesus, he rose from the dead three days later, demonstrating that he was who he claimed to be, and that is God in the flesh. We now receive forgiveness and are, are reconciled to God by placing our faith and our trust in the perfect sacrifice of the God-man, Jesus Christ. And that gift of salvation, it is available for all who will turn from their sin and trust in what Christ has done. And for those of us who, who are in Christ, for those of us who belong to Christ, we have a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. By noting that Jesus is seated at, at the right hand of God in heaven, the author of Hebrews is, is giving us a picture showing us that Jesus is divine. And throughout Scripture, we find that, that phrase, the right hand of God, um, indicating God's power, indicating God's, God's sovereignty. An example of this is in Exodus 15, 6. It says, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. John Calvin, he sums up well what it means for Christ to be seated at the right hand of God when he notes that, Christ was invested with lordship over heaven and earth, and that he not only entered into possession once for all, but continues in it until he shall come down on judgment day. We could spend a lot of time looking at what it means for Christ, uh, for our high priest to be seated at the right hand of God, but the, the one thing that I want everyone to get about this is that 
We are not waiting for the reign of Christ to come one day in the future. King Jesus, he reigns now. And all of his enemies are being placed under his feet as the gospel goes forth. The kingdom of God expands as the gospel goes forth. Brothers and sisters, our, our passage this morning, it makes it so clear that Jesus is divine. And, and the, the book of Hebrews as a whole it makes clear that Jesus is divine. The whole Bible makes clear that Jesus is divine. Jesus is our divine high priest. And quickly, I want to show you a few, of, few qualities of Christ as noted by the author of Hebrews that, that point out this reality to us. So let's take a, a quick look at four characteristics of Christ that prove to us that Jesus is the divine high priest. And as we look at these characteristics, I, I pray, I, I just I want us to be filled with, with gratitude and be filled with thankfulness towards our Savior. And remember, these are qualities that are showing us that Jesus is divine, and I pray that this will awaken praise in your hearts as we look at this. So, four characteristics, four qualities that show us that Jesus is divine. First, Jesus is sinless. Jesus is sinless. He was perfect. And he was and is perfect in every way. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26 says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That's, that's our Savior. That's our King and our high priest. And next we know that Jesus is divine because Jesus is eternal. And Jesus is our eternal high priest. Jesus' role as high priest has no end. He intercedes on our behalf forever and ever. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 19 through 20 say, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Christian, if you're, if you're tired today from working and from striving for God's affection, oh, I hope this morning that you will find rest. I hope that you will rest on Christ's work and not your own. Rest in the fact that Jesus is your divine high priest and he is interceding on your behalf. We also know that Jesus is divine because his atoning sacrificial work was completed once and for all. Jesus' atoning sacrificial work was completed once and for all. In the Old Testament, we find priests having to offer sacrifices almost constantly on behalf of the people. There was the, the burnt offering and the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering. If, if you read through Leviticus, it seems like there's a, a never-ending amount of sacrifices and, and offerings then the biggest sacrifice of the year would take place on Yom Kippur, on the, the Day of Atonement. And on this day, the priest would go into the, the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, and he would, he would um, sprinkle blood and burn some incense uh, on behalf of, of all the people who had uh, committed sins over that year. But brothers and sisters, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross put an end to all of that, because Jesus was divine. Again in Hebrews 7 verse 27, it says he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. 
Christ's work on the cross, it, it covers us who are his people. Christ's sacrificial work, it was final. And it's applied to all of us who confess him as Lord. And finally, we know Jesus is divine because he is exalted at the right hand of God the Father. That's what we saw in the first, the first verse of Hebrews 8. It says, now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And this exaltation of Jesus, it shows us that he is divine. Friends, the divine nature of Jesus is on display all throughout the Bible and all throughout Hebrews. And we see it. We see it so clear in our passage this morning. Now, there, there are a few things I, I really want you to see in verses 5 and 6 as well. Um, there's, a, there's a lot in those two verses but I want you to notice that the, the Old Testament sacrificial system with, with sacrifices and priests, it, sh it shows or it serves as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. That's, that's what verse 5 is saying. You see, Jesus, he introduces the, the ultimate spiritual realities to which the Old Covenant pointed to. Jesus, he fulfills and he replaces the whole system prescribed in the law of Moses in the Old Testament. The old way of doing things, it pointed towards Christ. And understanding this makes, makes it so much easier and enjoyable to read through books like Leviticus and Numbers and, and Deuteronomy. Next time you're reading through uh, these books, pay attention to how they're, they're really pointing towards Jesus. Read these, bo these books through the lens of the New Testament, through the lens of the New Covenant. I promise you there's a, there's a wealth of riches in some of these Old Testament books that we're just so prone to skip over. Now when it comes to verse 6, I hesitate a little bit to even go into it because there, there's so much there. But let, let's just take a second and, and focus on the last part of that verse. I'm going to read verse 6 in its entirety, but we're going to focus on just the last part. Verse 6 says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. I just want to take a second and make sure that we understand a little bit about what those better promises are. We could just read the rest of chapter 8, which is a quotation of Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, and you'll, you'll see what those, those better promises are. And I hope that you'll do that. Maybe this afternoon, sit down and read the rest of chapter 8. But quickly, let's, let's look at a, a snapshot. So through Christ, we receive endless mercy and forgiveness of sins. And our sins are not only forgiven, but listen to this, they are forgotten. Read through the rest of Hebrews 8, and you'll, you'll, you'll also see that through Christ, we receive assurance of a decisive cleansing from sin. Christian, that, that is one of the promises you have in Christ. You have been decisively cleansed from your sin. And that should cause all of us who are in Christ to rejoice together this morning. Now we would do ourselves a, a disservice if we didn't take just, just a minute and think about what all of this means. We touched on that a little bit as we were looking at qualities that prove Jesus' divinity. But let's take just a minute and think. What does this mean in our, our daily lives that Jesus, the God-man, truly God and truly man, is our divine high priest? 
How should this change how we live? I've got just two things I want us to think about. There's certainly more, and maybe after you've, you've finished reading Hebrews 8, think about how this, this changes how you live. But here's, here's just two things for you to think about. As Christians, we should be confident that our sin is forgiven. As Christians, we should be confident that our sin is forgiven. I think one of the, the greatest hindrances to Christians truly living for Christ in their everyday lives is shame. We're, we're ashamed of our sin and the way that we've placed other things above God in our lives. And this, this shame that we feel, it causes us not to share our faith. It causes us to try to hide from God. It disrupts our, our communion with God. Now, conviction is different from shame. It's good to feel convicted when we sin. Conviction, it brings restoration. It brings hope. It, it leads to repentance. But we, we shouldn't feel shame as Christians. Shame is the result of condemnation. And as Romans 8.1 says, and I cannot wait for us to get to Romans chapter 8 when we jump back in to Romans, but Romans 8.1 says, it tells us, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian and you're struggling with shame, please, please hear me this morning. That your sin and your shame are forgiven because Jesus took your sin and your shame on the cross. Jesus was the, the, the sinless and perfect sacrifice for your sin and for your shame. Be confident in his sacrifice on your behalf. Be confident that your sin has been forgiven. Past, present, and future, you are forgiven. Shame, it will, it will debilitate your Christian walk. And it will, it will rob you of your joy in Christ. Be confident that in Christ, your sin is forgiven. And your Savior is interceding for you as your high priest. What a glorious reality. The next thing I want us to understand is this. With Jesus as our high priest, we rest. With Jesus as our high priest, we rest. Some of us... We have the, the natural temperament where we just want to please people all the time. We want people to be happy with us, and, and we want people to like us, and we, we carry this same kind of mindset when we think about our, our relationship with God. We think we have to, to work and do all these things in order to gain God's favor. We think that what God thinks about us is dependent on what we do. Friend, if, if that's you today, you need to remember that Jesus is your high priest. And because Jesus is our high priest, we have assurance. Because of Jesus' work, we can rest. Now, I don't mean that we don't work hard for the spread of the gospel. I don't mean we don't work hard at our jobs or in, in our families and in relationships. Each of these things will require us to work extremely hard. Sometimes to the point of, of exhaustion. But brothers and sisters, we don't have to work in order to earn God's favor. With Jesus as our, our divine high priest, we rest in the work that he has done. If you're listening this morning and you're a Christian, as I've mentioned before, and it's really one of my goals in this, this sermon, is I hope you're overflowing with joy right now. What joy, what peace it brings to know Christ. What comfort we have in the, in the midst of this pandemic, knowing that our Savior 
is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. A Savior who, who knows what it's like to be a human being. A Savior who knows what it's like to live in a messed up world. I want to read Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 for us. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friend, if you're listening today and you're struggling with sin, and you're struggling with shame, you're struggling with, with guilt, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Place your faith, place your, your trust in Christ. Forgiveness can only be found in Him. True rest can only be found in having Jesus as your high priest. And I, I hope that you'll, you'll reach out to us in some way if you, if you want to know more about that. Um, there's going to be a number that's going to come on the screen at, at some point that, that you can text. We're also going to do a, a Zoom call at the end of this, and we'd love for you to jump on. And Randy's going to have a little bit of information about that um, once we, we finish um, singing together. But don't, don't disappear out into the, the virtual world without talking to us if you want to know more about who Christ is, about how you can have him as your divine high priest interceding for you. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to continue singing together. And by the way, I know it can be kind of strange to just kind of sing at your house by yourself, maybe. That's how I felt for the first couple of weeks. But when I, when I actually um, started singing, God just did a work in my heart. It, it, it does something when we sing and we praise and we rejoice Him, rejoice in Him. So even if it feels a little bit weird, just stand and sing as, as we continue on, and I promise you, you'll be, you'll be blessed by that. But I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll continue on this morning. So let's, let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you that because of Christ, because of the work he has done, that we rest, God. Lord, I thank you that we have assurance that we're securing you because of the work of Christ. Father, I pray um, that anyone who's listening this morning and is struggling with that and they're a Christian, oh, just give them an overwhelming sense of peace right now, Lord. God, I pray that as we go throughout the day and the rest of our week, Lord, that we'll, we'll think about that, about who, who we are in you, about what it means to have Christ as our divine high priest. Oh, what peace and what assurance that brings, Lord. Father, I pray that you'll bless the rest of our time together. I pray that you'll bring us back together soon, Lord. Father, be with those who are hurting and struggling during this time. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.